Marsha Shiner is the president and founder of Integrate Autism Employment Advisors. She is also the co-author of the Neurodivergent Job Candidate, colon, Recruiting Autistic Professionals, and An Employer's Guide to Managing Professionals on the Autism Spectrum. She's a frequent speaker on autism employment. Prior to founding Integrate in 2010, Ms. Shiner held senior management positions in the financial services industry. She's a graduate of Wellesley College and has an MBA from Columbia University's Graduate School of Business. She's the parent of an adult son with autism. Marcia Shiner, welcome to the creative process. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So you uh, advocate for uh, awareness and employment opportunities for people on the autism spectrum. This is kind of your second life. It's not what you started out uh, doing and, and now it's become your life's work. Just tell us a little bit about uh, your path. Sure. So I have um, a very traditional business background. I, um, after college, worked a couple of years and then went to business school and got an MBA in real estate finance, and then spent 25 years working in the financial services industry in both banking and then insurance, um, ultimately holding um, executive level positions. Um, during that time, I had a child um, who is on the autism spectrum, so was raising a child on the autism spectrum. Um, always wanted to do something a little more philanthropic at some point in time in my life. And um, about 11 years ago, um, just as my son was beginning to transition to adulthood, leaving uh, high school in the United States, I had the opportunity, as I like to say, to retire early um, and pursue my, my second career as it was um, in something that was um, a little more along the social good uh, vein. So I left the financial services world. Um, and given that my son was transitioning into adulthood, the issues around transition into adulthood for autistic individuals was something that was um, very much near and dear to my heart at the time. So I spent some time talking to individuals who were very much involved in the issues that were important and critical for young adults to really launch um, into adulthood who are on the autism spectrum. And what I discovered was that the, there were really three key issues, which are relationships, housing, and employment, uh, which frankly are really the same issues for, for any young adult um, leaving home and, and got, taking that next step in their life. Um, and I really decided that with my background, focusing on employment would be the right, the right one. And so that's great that you bring together some of your business skills. And also, uh, I imagine there's there are other groups that might be focusing more purely on education, but you were see seeing it from a, a problem solutions based, like, you know, what are the experiences? What are the challenges that your son might encounter? I imagine at that time and still, it's not, it's, it's not um, very common for there to be a lot of employment agencies focusing in as you do. Um, may maybe you're the only one that focuses specifically on that and, and exclusively on that so that you what you couldn't find, you created. Right. So, so what I did when I decided that employment seemed like the right space for me to focus on is I started talking to organizations that do focus on employment 
for either people with disabilities or more specifically autistic adults. And, and certainly what um, I found in the US, um, and I'm in New York, so I was particularly talking to New York agencies, is the United States system is state-based. So 50 states, 50 systems. And depending where you live will determine uh, the quality of the service that you can get. Some states are far superior to others. Um, the, the system also certainly 11 years ago was um, very much and still is today what we call person-centered, which means an individual with a disability goes to their state agency, registers, is assigned uh, a caseworker or an employment specialist. Every state has different names for the person. And that person works with that individual to help them get a job. When I spoke to organizations in New York, um, certainly in some that I would consider very good at what they do, um, they would tell me it could take them two to three years working with someone to get them a job. And, and what we haven't talked about is for autistic individuals, there's really sort of two paths. There are those today, about 35% of 18 year olds with an autism diagnosis who do go on to college or some form of post-secondary education. And then, and then those who don't. Um, of those who don't, and want to work, there's about a 55% unemployment rate. For those who go to college and then look for employment afterwards, there's about a 75 to 85% under an unemployment rate. So, so you can see the, the unemployment rates, whether you go to college or not, are, are astronomical, <clears throat> but they're even higher if you go to college, which is sort of counterintuitive. And we can talk about that a little more later. But when I was talking to these agencies and saying, well, it takes two to three years for you to place somebody, it's no wonder that the unemployment rates for these individuals are so high. Um, and oftentimes they're placed and they're still underemployed. So I looked at it from my perspective, having spent 25 years as an employer and knowing that <clears throat> it can be very hard to find good talent and, and thinking, why not? Who was out there talking to employers about this talent pool? Who was out there creating programs for employers to hire autistic individuals that are structured in a way that meets an employer's needs? So my concept was to take the current system and, as I like to say, flip it on its head. And instead of having the individuals be your clients, because we know there are a lot of individuals out there looking for work, the supply is there. Let's go out and create demand with employers. So that's what Integrate does. Integrate works with companies as our clients to advocate with them to hire autistic and neurodivergent talent. And we help them figure out how to do that. We educate and train them to be effective employers of that talent. We go out and we recruit that talent for them and teach them how to do it on their own. And then we help them support that talent once they've hired them. And, and again, we're not in there coaching the individuals, we're coaching the company on how to provide the right environment for the talent to flourish. I really like that for the talent to flourish because once 
um, with uh, your help and with the, you know, giving the employers um, what they need, even just to overcome stigmas or, you know, uncertainties, but also just the onboarding system. Once they're trained, uh, the statistics are really impressive. So you go from, uh, what did you say, 50, 55 percent unemployment or over 70 if they're college educated unemployment among those on the autism spectrum to when they have employment 90 percent retention rate and then productivity just tell us about what that is i mean because that's a benefit it's not as you say you're not encouraging them to make sacrifices and hire a certain number of people who are uh can't fulfill all the tasks or, or operating at a slower rate in some cases I mean, I don't want to say all the statistics. Just, just tell us, because it's really uh, very interesting. So, so again, you know, the system when it's person-centered, a lot of um, agencies, again, they'll still go to an employer and they'll say, hire my client. Here's the job they can do for you and hire them to do this because it's the right thing to do. So again, from an employer's perspective, you need, you need talent to fill jobs that you need filled and you want people who can do the job well. So if, if you look at companies that have started programs that are now, you know, are considered large, so companies like SAP, JP Morgan Chase, Microsoft, um, these companies now have enough traction and a track record to look at the performance of the autistic individuals they've hired. So a company like JP Morgan Chase or EY is another one. Um, all of those companies will have over a 90% retention rate with their autistic staff. And every employer knows turnover costs you money. So there's an economic benefit to hiring talent that stays with your organization. For individuals on the autism spectrum who tend to not like change, if you provide them with an environment where they feel valued, they feel respected, and they can do a job that they enjoy, and you know, like anybody else, they feel that they do have opportunity in a career path, they will stay. You know, the thought of having to go out and look for another job after the experience that they've had in the past of continuous rejection, it's not, a, you know, why would you want to do that? So there's there's real benefits if you, as, a, as an employer, do this properly. Um, you do get that stickiness factor with, with the employees. Um, the other thing that um, employers are finding, and J.P. Morgan Chase is really the one that has tracked this, is that they find that their employees can be up to 140% more productive and 90% more accurate than their non-autistic peers in the same jobs. Um, and, and James Mahoney, who used to be the person who ran that program, um, he's moved on to another role in, at the organization at J.P. Morgan Chase, once said to me, all he has to do is go to a new, you know, a new division and talk to them about those statistics. And, you know, managers will say, where do I sign up? I mean, who doesn't want employees who are likely to stay going to be more productive and more accurate? So there, you know, the, our approach has always been that this is a good business proposition for an employer. And those are only some of the business propositions that are positive for an employer. We, we look at it, uh, I always refer to the autism community as an affinity group. So em employers look at affinity groups across the board when they're selling products. Um, the LGBTQ community is an affinity group. 
African-Americans are affinity group, women are an affinity group, and any, any group that has a similar characteristic. Well, if you look at the autism statistics um, across the, the globe, but certainly in, in the United States, about 2% of the US population is on the spectrum. And if you then look at their parents, their siblings, their aunts and uncles, their grandparents, you're talking probably somewhere about 30 to 40 million people with those directly on the spectrum and those with a close personal connection. That's about 10, 10 somewhere between 10 to 15% of the US population. We are an affinity group. We have purchasing power. So I live in New York City and I walk out my front door and there are four banks within a one block radius of my apartment. If I need to open a checking account, which is certainly a commodity product, I'm gonna to go to the bank that I know has the biggest autism hiring program, because that is really important to me as a parent of an autistic individual. And what can we do as those who may have, have it in their own lives or in our family? Um, what can we be doing, uh, again, you know, using our purchasing power? But like before that, uh, because I mean, I don't know what the educational system was like that your son was born into. I imagine that you had to educate yourself in order to, you know, fill in some of those gaps. This is still a lot that we don't know. Well, you know, we can let's go back to the statistic of 35% of autistic individuals in the US at least go on to post secondary education. Our understanding of autism has really allowed for early diagnosis and early intervention, which is real one of the reasons we see that statistic. So we, we are seeing um, tremendous development of understanding and supports for young children right through college. Again, in the United States, there's somewhere between 70 to 100 colleges and universities that have autism-specific support programs on campus in addition to their disability services programs. So that, that sort of tells you where we have come over the past, and that has developed in the past 10 years. So that tells you where we have come in our understanding and our ability to support autistic individuals in our education system. Again, it, it, Education varies by state. People move in this country to different states to get their children into the schools if they are autistic because of the, the quality of certain school systems versus others. Um, that's true even within a state. But you know, we've done a lot to help children reach their maximum potential. I view what we're doing now with employment is really just the next step. Um, because you know we're we're continuing to learn as we push forward, um, and see that you know we we have a, a population of individuals. First of all, that continues to grow. When when I started Integrate, uh, the incidence rates of autism in the U.S. was one in 110 children, and today it's one in 54. And I suspect that next time the CDC does the numbers, it'll come out to be probably somewhere one in 40ish one in the 40s. I mean, that is, that is the continuous trend. So th this is something that is not going away and children age into adults. And 
excuse me for asking some questions and I, I know that you can't, you said before that there are no, you don't feel there are any dumb questions, but I wonder if the rates in autism with our dependence on technology and as we say that there's certain qualities that those on the spectrum have, I wonder if our use of technology, it helps on the one hand, but maybe increases a kind of um, some tendencies, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, you know, and I think from a perspective of the number of individuals who are going to college and are, are in the workforce, I think technology has definitely had an impact. When you go out to Silicon Valley or Redmond, Washington, uh, where Microsoft is, I, I was once talking to someone who had worked in human resources at Redmond at Microsoft. And, and she said, look, we have a lot of people on the spectrum working for us. They're just not disclosed. They're probably not even diagnosed. I, I think the technology field has provided a lot of opportunity for people who flew under the radar of autism diagnosis and disclosure and has been um, a wonderful place uh, because of the requirements of the jobs. You know, not everybody on the spectrum is a software coder or wants to be a programmer. That it, that's a, a myth that we spend a lot of time trying to change with employers, that everybody wants to come in and work in technology. But on the flip side, it, it, you know, a lot of people say, well, are you working with Google? And, you know, on one hand, I said, we'd love to work with Google. But on the other hand, I honestly don't think Google needs us that much. They do have autistic employees. They do have a, a, a group for their neurodivergent employees. They do think about this a lot. But the, the environments at those kinds of organizations have, because of the number of uh, autistic individuals and neurodivergent thinkers that they have, have grown organically within the organization. The other thing is, part of the increase in the incidence rates, you know, people always ask me, well, why do I think the incidence rates are going up so much? I think the increase in technology has given people who are, I'll say spectrum-like, have spectrum-like characteristics because maybe they aren't diagnosed. So I'm, you know, I'm not gonna make that diagnosis. It's not my place to do so. Um, <clears throat> but individuals in the past who may have struggled to find employment, um, are now employed in, in good jobs and they're, they're, meeting, they're meeting spouses and they're getting married and having children where in the past they might not have. Uh, and I do believe that there is um, a genetic element to autism and they're having children and those children are on the spectrum. You know, again, it's, it's anecdotal, um, but I, you know, I've heard from people out on the West Coast that <clears throat> some of the public schools, again, in, in the Bay Area, and it, up in, in Washington state, uh, where there are a lot of technology companies have higher incidence rates of autism in their public schools than in other areas. Um, you know, you can draw your own conclusions from that. And so you mentioned that genetic element, and I think in some cases, autism or uh, maybe a withdrawal that may mimic or be uh, parallel to a kind of a spectrum, um, is uh, based on a reaction to certain very early formative experiences. Um, in, in what way? 
Well, this is just something that I had read, and so I don't know. I, I mean that we, we speak about certain characteristics, and it's different for everyone. Um, you're talking about the aptitude uh, for, you know, math or technology and that kind of laser focus, and maybe an ability to, um, you know, be removed from one's emotions as one focuses on a task like that. or uh, And so maybe the removal of emotions is sometimes an emotional response or a genetic predisposition? It's an interesting question because I think a lot of people think of autistic individuals as lacking emotion. I would say most of the autistic individuals that I've met are very empathetic people. They may struggle expressing that empathy in an appropriate fashion. Um, and a lot of times they've had bad experiences, as you say, particularly you know, when they're younger. Um, a lot of a lot of autistic individuals are bullied as children um, because they don't know how to interact appropriately in a social environment. Um, so some of them do withdraw. So that it's sort of like they'll they'll hide those emotions rather than experience the negative reactions um, when they do express emotions. So um, some of it could be that. Um, so, some individuals, yes, when they're involved in tasks that they're really interested in, they do get that laser-like focus, and, and they really are just all consumed with their task. But I, I have found that most, most of the individuals we deal with are really um, highly tuned in um, to, to their emotions and oftentimes other people's emotions. That doesn't mean they necessarily read them appropriately or know how to react to them appropriately. And that oftentimes gets them into trouble. Working on this podcast has been incredibly inspiring for me. Listening to Marcia's perspective as a parent of a child with autism has truly enlightened my perspective on the autism spectrum. Like Marcia mentions at points, I firmly believe and hope that we are entering a period of profound openness with each other. I think that people will be more willing to ask questions and remain curious about other people's experiences. I think that we've been living in an age that has been really muddled by materialism and linear thinking. Um, and I think that unfortunately money and power has kind of driven us to the brink of darkness in a way. I think that especially due to COVID and what the past year has been for many people, I think that we've been able to relinquish some of the binding rules that we've been living by for so long. and. I think that this interview is a really wonderful example of blending that open perspective with, you know, the reality of having a job and having to exist in the systems that we have to live in as working people. Hearing how those systems can interact with each other in a symbiotic way has totally shifted my thinking on 
you know, what it means to be a person with disabilities and navigating this very complicated and difficult world. Learning more about autism has only expanded my view of consciousness. I think it's really valuable that humanity can experience so many different versions of reality and the more that we welcome those varying perspectives, the more that we can extinguish the suffering that continues to oppress so many communities. Now, back to the interview. Yes, it's interesting. It almost seems like um, it's a kind of uh, literacy, like there's many kinds of literacies and it almost seems like it's a kind of literacies that that allows you to have certain traits and sometimes you have to learn the other literacies um, that aren't as developed. Right, so you know the whole concept of emotional IQ is one that when you know we see organizations saying well emotional IQ is something that's really important for us and when we look at we look for that in an interview process um, and, and I must say, we haven't really run into companies who have said that to us. We, you know, I see articles where people talk about that a lot. Um, and, and from our perspective, that's where we have to take a step back and say, okay, that's, that's going to be an issue. Those are the kinds of perspectives that really result in organizations or individuals, probably unconsciously, but certainly on, you know, having bias and screening out autistic individuals and neurodivergent individuals. And I, I'm curious about it. Um, on, I'm not sure about myself because I have never been diagnosed. Um, and I'm sure that there's some elements like a focus when I have a task. I felt it very strongly, you know, after my my grandfather's passed away now, so we can't really <laughs> test him. But um, I was always felt uh, that maybe he was somewhere on the spectrum, and uh, you know, just so many things that uh, the laser focus or certain uh, you know, not just math abilities, but um, you said that it's not uh, it's not that he wasn't uh, emotional, but uh, not an interest in small talk. He could speak seven languages, but you know, it was all about you know, information, it was just, it just, it seemed to like stack up certain qualities that they say, now we can't test him. And it seems like uh, there were a number of individuals um, and even well-known individuals like Einstein, or maybe today, you know, Elon Musk uh, came out, you know, publicly in Saturday Night Live and said that he's on the spectrum. So uh, it's interesting and it's wonderful to have these role models now, but diagnosis in the past wasn't as prevalent. So we can only just guess and, and, and also guess and speculate the, the talents that might have, you know, been lost by not having that acceptance and understanding. Absolutely. And I think I think one of the increases in the incidence rate is simply the uh, acceptance and understanding and more people who are on the spectrum being diagnosed. I don't think that it's just that there's this explosion of the number of people who are autistic now versus in the past. I mean, I think there, there's multiple factors, but I do think some of it is just a better understanding um, and depending um, and, and actually throughout the world, less of a stigma so that people are willing to come forward and get diagnosed. It is still not uncommon. And, um, we hear it all the time. Uh, 
adults taking a child in to be di diagnosed and one of the parents getting diagnosed at the same time. And you said the same experiences with uh, employers where you'd have you have these training or onboarding. I'm not sure you, you go into it, these um, employers and, and people will come out and, and reveal another part of themselves that they haven't shared before. Right. It, it, it's very common when we work with an employer. Um, first of all, it's very, very common to have um, employees reveal that they have a family member particularly a child on the autism spectrum, whereas in the past, they may not have even revealed that at work. Um, but it is also not uncommon to have uh, an employee come forward and reveal that they are on the autism spectrum. <clears throat> We've also had uh, individuals who go through the training and at the end of it, come to us and say, you know what, I think I might be on the spectrum and go afterwards to seek an evaluation to see if they are. That's not quite as common, but it has happened. So, yeah, and what you've done is an enormous resource. And just looking at the uh, endorsements for your forthcoming book, which is really a kind of companion piece prequel to your, your previous book, uh, The Neurodivergent Job Candidate, just tell us why you, to how, how this helps the employers and, and the employees and just anyone who is curious. Right. So, so the first book I wrote was called An, An Employer's Guide to Managing Professionals on the Autism Spectrum. And that came out in 2017. <clears throat> and that was really meant as a, a complementary piece to the education and training that we do. And it was, um, it's written as a reference guide so that employers can just quickly flip to a few pages and read something real quickly when dealing with a particular situation. And if somebody wants to read it cover to cover, all the better. Um, but as we've gotten further along and are working with companies, you know, the real, the real issue is, and, and the folks at Microsoft had said this, that the, the real issue is sourcing talent. And I remember the uh, Neil Barnett from Microsoft, who runs their program, saying we would we would have hired more people on the autism spectrum by now if we could find them. And then you have the autism community sit, sitting there going, we're here, we're here, and, and our unemployment numbers have still not moved. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 11 years. Um, the first program that came into place looking at professionals was SAP in 2013. JP Morgan Chase and Microsoft started in 2015. So it's not like these programs haven't been around for a while now. Why aren't, why are these companies still struggling to find talent? Um, and, you know, using an organization like ours is great, <clears throat> but we can't serve everybody. And there are other, some other organizations out there similar to ours, maybe you know, a little different in their approach. But companies are going to really, you know, for this to really change, companies need to know how to go out and recruit talent. Um, so it's only seemed to me that you know, sort of the natural piece of it was, okay, we, I wrote a book to tell you how to manage employees. You got to find them first. So um, after recovering from writing one book, I said, okay, it's, it's time to, to write the next one. And this one really is, as, as you said, I refer to it as a prequel. Um, and it's all about how to go out and recruit and onboard neurodivergent talent. Um, and it was really, you know, meant to address that statement, you know, that I heard coming out of Microsoft, which is we would have hired more people if we could have found them. 
And you mentioned also that uh, it, they're not just jobs within technology or I guess, in, you know, um, J.P. Morgan Chase. These are seem to be like in the finance industry or in um, technology companies. But do you come across uh, candidates who have other skills, at, but they feel are other talents, but they feel that once people know that they're autistic, that they won't be chosen for those other kinds of jobs or you know what what do you find in, in terms of the the breakdown of the the the, the people who, who come to you well i'll preface this by saying and i talk about this a lot in the book which is our traditional interview process really serves to screen out autistic talent so we talk a lot about how we talk a lot about that and how to modify an interview process in order to include in uh, autistic talent, not to screen them out. You know, it's it's really, you have to think completely differently in terms of what your goal is. Um, so that being said, if, if your goal is to hire autistic talent, again, you want to think broadly. Um, we have a program, we have one program we run for individuals, and it's really, it's, it's a networking program where we introduce them to uh, a whole host of different employers. And the reason we started it was really to introduce individuals to employers to demystify for the companies what it means to be a college graduate on the autism spectrum. And so they can actually meet the types of candidates we talk about. <clears throat> and we've put over 300 individuals through that program so far, and we track their career interests and their majors. And, and while I haven't tracked it for a similar group of non-autistic individuals, um, I can tell you it, it's probably not significantly different than if you were to look at 300 neurotypical individuals. Um, about 30 to 40% are interested in STEM, computer science, regular science, mathematics, engineering. Um, the next group is about 20% humanities. Um, we have artists, we have graphic designers, we have writers, we have people who wanna be archivists. Uh, we have pol political science majors. We've had lawyers. We've had doctors. So the the range of individuals in terms of their career interests and what they want to do. We have people who want to go into re human resources. We've even had a couple of people who end up in sales jobs, um, which is not at all what you would expect for someone on the autism spectrum. But every once in a while, you meet somebody who is exceptionally social very outgoing and actually has really good social skills. And the area that they struggle most is with executive functioning. They may not be particularly organized. They may struggle transitioning from one task to the next. Uh, they may need instructions in a very, very clear fashion. So they need, you know, maybe they need an assistant or maybe they need a manager who's really organized and delivers things to them, you know, in a very certain fashion. But then when you put them out there, they're great. So it, it's, you know, when we talk to companies too, and, and we say, and they say, well, we can't find enough talent. I say, well, if you're only looking for technology people, um, yeah, you're not going to find enough talent because A, you're competing with everybody looking for technology people. You're only looking for autistic talent. And, and if, you know, a, a lot of autistic talent in the technology field they get jobs anyway. No, that's really interesting because I've come across those. And again, as I wouldn't know how to diagnose people, but uh, where 
as you said, like writers and you, you think, oh, you know, in someone in the arts, it doesn't seem like our typical diagnosis because you have to be, you know, seeing a number of perspectives and all this empathy and all this kind of emotional work that is not what we think of the stereotype anyway. But it, it seemed like I've observed that they use the skills and it's, it's just interesting that uh, the number of uh, people that you might not realize are on the spectrum. And I was wondering in terms of how, uh, what your thoughts on our current education models are. Uh, if, I, if I think about autism or, or spectrum individuals as, being, as having a kind of language or a set of aptitudes, like would it be helpful to have, you know, teachers who are artistic teaching you know you you don't want a segregation but maybe there's a certain way of communicating i mean it's about ways of seeing and ways of thinking right uh would it be helpful to you know have the teachers who really themselves had at least a very good grounding in that those perspectives there is a saying in the autism community uh, nothing about us without us and i think it is very important to have autistic individuals involved in pretty much all programming for autistic individuals. Um, when I wrote my book, we have an autistic staff member who read it, you know, as I wrote each chapter with my co-author, he, he was our final read of every chapter and editing, uh, looking for language, looking for um, perspective from, you know, to make sure the, the autistic voice was represented um, and, you know, what was saying made sense for someone who is autistic. Um, all, we, we actually just hired a, another person to come who's going to be joining us as a recruiter who is autistic, who will be interviewing candidates. So to have someone autistic interviewing our candidates, um, you know, is important to us. I think um, we tell, one of the things that I recommend in the book <clears throat> excuse me, is when companies are setting up programs, um, the companies we work with are largely Fortune 500 companies. They have autistic employees. Do outreach, have autistic individuals involved in the setup of your programs because you're setting them up for autistic individuals. Have that voice involved in the setup of the program because otherwise it is not going to meet the needs of the candidates that you want to hire. We do come across autistic teachers. We've, I've come across um, therapists, autistic therapists who work with autistic individuals. Um, actually, the recruiter we just hired is um, part of his background includes, has been uh, providing counseling for autistic college students. So I think it is very important um, to have that voice and for um, the autistic individuals to have those role models. And yes, and role models. And then also it's also important for uh, the stories of those on the spectrum to be seen, you know, in society. So in terms of works of art, um, you know, books or television, film, um, uh, you know, are there any works that you feel um, really, because I can't think of very many, but are there any that you feel really give a nuanced perspective and, and you know, also positive role modeling? You know, it's, it, there, there's been a lot of 
media representation of, of individuals on the spectrum in the past few years, much, much more. You know, certainly we've come a long way from Rain Man. I'll, I'll say that. Um, I can't say I've been thrilled with a lot of them. Uh, I'll say one of my favorite shows with autistic individuals that I think were represented really well was Parenthood. Both, both the, the child Max as well as um, the character, the photographer played by Ray Romano as an adult. I thought that was a really excellent representation. Um, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the show, The Good Doctor. I know a lot of people like that one. Again, it, it does represent someone in a very, um, in a high level professional field, which I think is good. I can't say I ever watched Boston Legal, though I know there was a lawyer in there on the spectrum. Um, the show Atypical is pretty good. Uh, we actually, and I haven't seen the show yet, so I don't know how it represents, um, but we just um, worked with uh, Jason Kadams, who was the creator of Parenthood, and he has a new show coming out about three roommates on the autism spectrum. It's a remake of an Israeli show. And um, the actors are all autistic. The three roommates are all autistic. And they had a number of individuals on the production team. Well, we helped place five uh, production assistants on the team, on the production staff. Um, so we're, we're anxious to see that one coming out soon. That's great too, that the actors as, and as well as behind the scenes are actually, because so often those who, um, represent uh, people uh, in marginalized groups or themselves not you know they're they're performing a role so that that is that's great to have that authenticity that I think is really important yeah I know I think that those are all strong examples and it is just thinking back in the last decade uh, I don't even think you could have named that many people or not many <laughs> in the, the previous decade so it, it, it really is uh, nice to see that and how have you on a personal level now that you made this your life's work um, how has the experience of having uh, your son, uh, you know, on the spectrum, you know, how have you grown as an individual? How is, what has he taught you? Um, he has taught me to let go <laughs> and to um, really just take a backseat and let, let him be the adult that he is going to be. Uh, I think having worked with many other individuals has given me a much broader perspective. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, very different being a parent to uh, an individual versus working in a professional capacity, trying to place individuals. When I was working in financial services, you know, I knew him and I knew his friends, but it was you know, very much a parental focus. And working uh, at Integrate and doing what I've been doing for the, the past decade has, as he's really become an adult now, has allowed me to take a step back and say, okay, I, I don't need to make those decisions. I don't need to control these things for him. Um, he's doing pretty well on his own. And his path may not be the path 
that I would choose for myself. Um, but we are two very different people and that's okay. No, it's it's really a beautiful what you've done, and it just it, it must give you immense satisfaction because there you are, at, at maybe starting off and seeing um, this um, lack of opportunities, you know, sort you know challenges that individuals are facing, and you can really point to you know so many you, and I'm sure that they're really also very grateful for you, both the employers and the employees. Uh, and to have made a difference in that many lives. It's, um, it, it, it's interesting because yes, it's, it's, um, it's gratifying. You know, the real thing I'd love to see is the unemployment numbers change. I, I don't know how we'll do that. Um, we, need, we need a really good researcher to do some really hard data collection. Uh, don't we have that has not really been done yet. Um, but yes, it is. It is really exciting. Every time we see an offer go out, and someone start a job. Yes, because it, what it reminds us is that every person, as you say, they're enormously talented individuals, but every person has their different talents. And we're so and this is part of you know on our education system as well we're so trained to think of even along economic lines or you know we see things so narrowly and we just we don't open up our beam to understand the diversity of talents and i feel like um, this is changing certainly but we've often missed so many talented individuals because we were so set on looking for what we already wanted you know we just but we're not seeing the talent out there and what they can give. So, uh, you know, uh, organizations uh, such as uh, um, Integrate Autism Employment Advisors and, um, you know, your books, which are also enormously helpful, not just for uh, employers, but anyone uh, who uh, may have autism in their life. Um, I think uh, this is really helpful and, and it gives a lot of hope too on, you know, on the practical level. So I guess in, in closing, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're educators here too, and we think uh, a lot about our current system. So we think about the future, how we might improve our current systems and education, the environment. There's so many issues that we need systemic change on. As you think about, about them and the kind of world we're leaving the next generation, uh, what would you like to change? And uh, what were some of those uh, life lessons that were important to you? Well, well, you know, I have to say I'm, I'm very encouraged in a certain sense, because when I look at the next generation coming in, I find them to be much more open-minded and much more accepting and interested in diversity and of, in many ways, um, including diversity of thought. So I'm, I'm very encouraged by that aspect in terms of how the next generation will be looking to bring um, an inclusive workforce into, into wherever they are. Uh, so so that, that piece of it, I, I really find good. Um, I think that the piece that I hope to see 
us all change a little bit more and that we spend a lot of time with with employers um, of you know no matter where and generationally they are is getting people to talk to each other more and again that that's the piece that maybe I worry a little bit about particularly with the next generation who is so digital digitally focused um, which is for everybody to slow down and take the time to talk to each other because particularly with neurodivergent thinkers, sometimes you, you really need to take a step back and you need to take that extra time with your, your, the person you're managing or your colleague and, and take the time to think through their perspective, where they're coming from, and then talk to them. If, you, you know, if you're working with someone and you see them you know, doing something that socially doesn't make sense or, you know, knowing their capabilities from a work perspective doesn't make sense to really thinking those things through with them so that you can get them to the place they need to be. And if you're not talking to them and talking to them openly and honestly, that's never going to happen. So, you know, in the one sense, I, I see more inclusion coming down the road, but on the other hand, I see the pace being so fast um, that a lot of the people who are brought in may fall by the wayside quickly. So, you know, it's sort of bringing the people in, but then creating the time and the space for them to be successful. Yes, making time and uh not just acting but thinking through through and just uh, appreciating others I think that that's uh, a really important lesson sometimes we're racing so fast that we don't appreciate things each other uh, nature so, so many things uh, so I want to thank you, Marsha Shiner and Integrate Autism Employment Advisors for all you have done to help develop pathways to recognition, awareness, and acceptance of individuals on the autism spectrum, creating opportunities and removing stigmatism so they can fulfill their potential and society can benefit from their talents and neurodivergent gifts. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you for having me, Mia. I really appreciated being here. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview is conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Austin Johansson. The Digital Media Coordinator is Hannah Story Brown. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thank you so much for listening.